0: here's what we're going to do this morning, and it's going to be, uh, I'm really going to take you through the last five weeks. I mean, literally, I'm going to literally go through the last five weeks. I'm going to give you every major point for the last five weeks. I've got a lot of points. I've got eight different points in the first section, right? And we're going to walk through everything that we've talked about, because what we've basically done for the last five weeks is we've created this big picture. It's not, it's a very incomplete picture. It's just the beginning of a picture, but it's still a picture uh, of, of God moving in our lives, why He does it as our Father, and we kind of create this picture and then how it should land with us. So I'm going to go through the last five weeks and then I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story of how all of this kind of played it, has been playing itself out in my life over the last three years, three and a half years, something like that. And so it's just going to be my story. And um, if you if, hope you like it, if not, sorry. And uh, we'll just go from there. All right. So what we've been talking about is that we've entered into 2011. Right. We said it's a new beginning. With, we said with every ending, there's always a beginning. Right. With every ending, there's always a beginning. We said that with these beginnings, with these beginnings, there's always this this fear. So we are in a new beginning. We are in a new beginning. Right. That's where we are in our in 2011, maybe in our lives, maybe you've had this major life change, you've ended something, and you are now beginning something else. And we said with the, with, the, uh, with the beginning comes these unknowns, and with unknowns can come lots of different emotions. We can have the fear of the unknowns, there can be anxiety in the context of of our unknowns. There can be worry in the context of all, our, all of our unknowns. But we said That's where we are. We're in the, the sense of unknowns. And we talked about this uh, picture from Joshua. Joshua was in a, in a, in a new beginning. Joshua was in a new beginning with all sorts of, of unknowns. They're the leader that they, they all have known, the only leader they've ever known, the best leader in the history of the world, maybe outside of Jesus, Moses, has just died. And this is huge, incredible fear setting in. What are we going to do? And then, then Joshua is raised up. And, of course, Joshua is an unproven leader. And so everyone feels compelled to tell him, hey, be strong and courageous. Hey, I'm going to say it again because your face isn't really uh, affirming the reality of be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, right? And, and he's like, keep on telling me because I'm freaking out because I'm nothing like Moses. There's all these unknowns. And so they, they start launching into the promised land, right, with all these unknowns. And they change their lifestyle, right, the, this nomadic, peaceful lifestyle, to now a, a lifestyle of, in, of having a place to, to camp for good in the promised land. And now they're shifting to a lifestyle of war. This is a major, major life change, right? It's a, it's a new beginning. And so Joshua, in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, we've been talking about it, has this really profound statement. He says, hey, listen, when you see the presence of God, The Ark of the Covenant being carried on by the priests of the Levites, right? When you see the presence of God, get up from the position that you were in and follow it. Because we've never been this way before. And when talking about this, I say it every week, right? And so Joshua has this revelation moment. Listen, listen, we've never been this way before. It's an unknown and the only way we're going to make is if you get up and you follow Jesus, you follow God, right? Follow the presence of God. You've got to be a people who follow his presence. You live in his presence. And so we, we talked about that. That was great. Talk number two says you can't follow someone confidently unless you know them. You can't follow someone confidently unless you know them. We said that Joshua encouraged the Israelites to follow God because God, because Joshua knew God. Think about it. I mean, Joshua every day would fought, would come to the tent of meeting, and Moses would walk in, and Joshua would stand out. And how many of you know that tents aren't great sound barriers, right? So obviously, when Moses is having his moment, speaking face to face with God, as a friend speaks to a friend. Exodus thirty three. Go read it. Moses would come in, sit down and speak face to face with God as a friend, speaks to a friend. Joshua would be sitting outside. And who knows all the things that Joshua overheard? And then, of course, Joshua is is the servant, basically, of Moses. And so they're having conversations. And so what's happening here is that Joshua knows God. Knows him. And because he knows him, he has confidence in him. And because he has confidence in him, he can trust him. Joshua knew God. And so when he said to the, to the Israelites, hey, get up and follow the presence, follow God, he said it with a high level of confidence. Why? Because he knew God and he trusted him. He knew he could, they could They could trust him too. And we said that God has this unmatchable, navigating prowess that he knows where to go and how to get us there. It's basically the word that Bill shared a second ago. His river leads us to the place that we need to go and God knows how to get there. And Joshua said, we've never been this way before. We have no idea how we're getting there. It's a new beginning. We don't know. It's a lot of unknowns. But if you follow the presence of God, you've got to know him. And then he said, now, if we need to knowing him, then what are the, a couple of things, a couple of parts we talked about in ways that we could know him, ways we needed to know him that were relevant for the situation. So the third thing we talked about was this, knowing God or knowing him as a caring father by the way he relates to us. So in knowing him, how do we know him? We need to know him as a caring father by the way that he relates to us. We name four things. And I think they're all up here. It says our father is all powerful. Listen, there is nothing greater than being led by the most powerful, most brilliant, the most wise, the most Capable person in the entire world. I mean, listen. If I'm leading someone, I want them to be the best of the best, right? And when I do that, it's fantastic. And so we're saying God and all of His authority and all of His wisdom is the best of the best, and we can know Him this way. And so when we follow Him in His authority and His power, we can rest in that if we know Him in that way. Do we know Him as the one who has all authority? Do we walk in the listen? Do we walk in the awakening revelation of that reality? Do we know it? Second thing we said is our father sensitive. Not that he gets his feelings hurt, but that he knows that you're sensitive and that you get your feelings hurt easily, and that you're easily swayed back and forth emotionally and and that it's easy for you to get down. And so what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to speak tenderly to you and with sensitivity because I know your frailty. I know how sensitive you are. So I'm not going to be overbearing. I'm not going to be condemning. I'm not going to beat you up. If we hear God that way, then you haven't heard God. If you hear voices that are condemning, then you've never then you're not hearing the voice of God. It's not Him. We're gonna talk about it, be part of our story here in a second, right? It's just gonna it's just this is amazing here if you can embrace this. If it's this condemning voice telling you how terrible you are, guess what? It's not God. We're gonna talk about it in a second. It's fantastic. All right. He's sensitive. Our Father's compassionate. We said a bruised tree will not break. A smoldering wick you will not snuff out. Those represent those and those who are in the process of dying. He said those who are in the process of dying, those who are in the process of dying, God says, I want to bring them life. I can't do anything else other than that because that's what I do. I bring life because I'm compassionate. If I'm compassionate, well, I can't be not compassionate. God can only be one of those things. He can never be not compassionate. He has to be compassionate. So here we go. Number four, he said our father's faithful. We can rest in this, right? In our faithlessness, how many of you would say, hey, I've been faithless in moments of my life, right? Long seasons for some of us, right? He's saying, hey, in those moments, guess what I do? What? I'm faithful. I can't not be anything else. And so that's how he relates to us, right? He relates to us as being all powerful and sensitive, being compassionate. So we said, do you know him that way? Do you know him? Do you live every day in the reality of this? And I would say to you, if you don't, it's great news because you have something to look forward to. You don't condemn yourself if you don't know him this way. He goes, hey, this is great news. Don't beat yourself up if you don't know me as a caring father by the way that I relate to you. Guess what? I can reveal it to you. It's great news. So the fourth thing we looked at, knowing God as a caring father by how he fights for us. Knowing God as a caring father by the way that he fights for us. He said our father is an initiator. When we were still yet in sin, separated from God, Jesus died for us. He's an initiator. He is moving in advance of the things that bring brokenness in your life to produce life. Right? He's an initiator. We said our father speaks to us. Our Father speaks to us through Isaiah 42. We looked at, just if you haven't been here, we looked at Isaiah 41, Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 43. Isaiah 41 was God basically saying, I'm awesome. I'm pretty much the best thing in the history of the world. I I really am. Every other God, he said, every other God is worthless. I'm fantastic. And guess what? Guess what? The great news is I can be your God, too, for all of humanity. It's fantastic, right? So our Father's an initiator. The second thing our Father speaks, right? He says, new things in Isaiah 42. New things I declare, and before they happen, I announce them to you insider trading. I mean, he wants you to know he like insider, right? He wants you to know what's going on. He's speaking to us in advance. He wants to continue. He is speaking. Are you hearing him? He's always speaking. He's always moving. He's always sharing because he wants us to be in the know. It's how he fights for us. There's that story from about Elijah and his, the opposing army and the, the generals over here. And every time they would go to attack the Israelites, the Israelites would be waiting To ambush them. And finally he said, who in our camp, who is betraying us? And they said, hey, there's this dude, Elijah. They call him the prophet of Israel. And seemingly whatever we speak in here, he knows. It's like he lives in our camp. Well, guess who did? God. And so Elijah just asked, hey, what's going on over there in the camp over there? Well, let me tell you, Elijah, so you can tell my people. I want to speak to you in advance. I, don't, I want to keep you in the know. He is speaking. Number third thing he said, our father's impartial. I mean, Becky is great, but she's, God doesn't see her as better than me. He sees us as equals, right? There's an impartiality in that, that God moves in us an equality. He loves us. The fourth thing it says, our father, listen, our father is zealous. Our father is zealous. Isaiah forty-two thirteen says, the Lord will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and triumph over his enemies. And we said, remember, this is like the gladiator Braveheart moment when they come out and they're trying to get the army all pumped up to go die. Right. You're going to go die. Yeah. Yeah, right. That doesn't make any sense. But you stir up your zeal for this objective that you had. And what God is saying is, listen, I'm going to stir up my zeal. I'm going to have my brave heart moment to fight for you. Yeah. Right. This is what he does. And so what we asked was this in talking about how he relates to us and how he fights for us. Listen. Do you believe it? And do you live every day in the knowledge of this? Do we? I think a lot of us believe it mentally, but we don't flesh it out in how we live our lives. So when a difficult moment comes in life, right? whether it's a financial thing or whether it's a family member who's died or all of a sudden you have this crisis moment, and what do you do? You have the belief you could teach, but how does your life flesh out? Oh, my gosh, God, where are you? You're so mean, God. How did you let this happen? I can't believe you. That's how we flesh that out, at least mentally. And there's a moment, hey, God, I need to understand. But when we live in this place without living in the confidence of who he is and following him with trust, then what we can say is we don't really know him this way yet. And that's great news because he wants to begin to awaken us to this reality in our lives. That he, we can have confidence in him, view him as trustworthy, and get behind him and follow his presence because we've never been this way before. And he's not scared of where we're going. Do you think that God was scared to walk into the promised land and do his thing for the Israelites? No. He wanted to do his thing. Because he's God. So then we talk about, well, why does he do all this? Why does God relate to me as a father? Why does why is he not impartial? Why does he fight? Why is he sensitive? And we said this: grace. This defining characteristic we were talking about of God, who God is. Grace. Grace is simply receiving something we haven't earned. This defines why God does everything. Why do we, what have we done to earn this? How have we gained the right to this? And you say, you've done absolutely nothing. I do it, but it's because of who I am, not because of who you are, what you do, or what you have done. I do it because it's who I am. I move. It's grace. I'm going to give you something that you haven't earned. So six was then, well, what is our responsibility? Because we like to do something, right? We like to do something, he said it's simple, put yourself in a position, put yourself in a position or a posture to receive. Put yourself in a position and a posture to receive, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we said that those who are proud are like this, God, I can do it in my own strength. I don't need anyone's help. I can make it happen in my own power. And God said, well, I, oh my gosh, I can't, I, I can't move in you. I literally can't move in you because you got your arms like this, saying, "I've got it. I don't need your help. I can do it. I can make it happen. I'm going to strive. I'm going to work. I'm going to make this happen, All right?" But the humble are those we said who who live every day like they entered the world naked and vulnerable and needy before God. And what he says is when you get to that place and you live in a place every day, no matter how gifted and how powerful and how wealthy you are, when you live in that place, then God says, grace, I can pour it out. Position and posture. Remember, I talked about little Sarah who she would do this. She's like, I can't find my shoes, daddy. I can't find my shoes. Where are they, daddy? She's like this. I'm like, honey, why don't you look three feet behind you? Because the shoes have been sitting there the entire time. Oh, daddy. Right? Three feet behind her. Grace. Right? She had not put herself in the position or the posture to see the shoes sitting three feet behind her. It was simply this. The shoes are already present. Grace is already being poured out. It's simply putting ourselves in this position of humility before God. A posture of humility of receiving. And we said that the posture and the position was it look like, well, Jesus modeled it for us. It was the context of relationship. And so he said, I'm going to the posture is simply a a relationship with God. And so he exhibited it by by speaking to God every day. We've made it some religious duty. We call it prayer now. Right. But he was just having a simple conversation back and forth with God about life. And he was. I mean, listen, when he came in in Luke 4 and he opened, he went straight to the scroll and Isaiah 61 pulled it out and he read it in their presence. How come? Why do you think he knew Isaiah 61? Well, he'd been reading the Bible, right? It wasn't a duty that he had to do to make sure he was a good person. It's what he did so he could learn and be in relationship with God, to learn about him in relationship. We don't read our Bibles. We can check it off and say, hey, I now twisted God's arm. By reading my Bible today, so I'm going to have a good day. I've prayed today for 15 whole minutes, so God's going to give me a good day. No, it doesn't work that way. We do it to cultivate relationship. Why do you think Jesus fasted? So he can say, all right, God, I fasted now. So now I can twist your arm to get what I want. No, he fasted because I just I want to die to this part of me in my flesh because I can just be connected to you and have life. See, all these things that he did, We're not to twist God's arm to get something, no matter what it was. It was to cultivate a relationship. That's the posture and the position. It's relationship and doing what we can to pursue and cultivate that relationship. That's our responsibility. So so what if we ignore Jesus? That's number seven up here. What if we ignore Jesus? Remember, we looked at the end of Isaiah 42, and it said, I think it was like verse 16 through 23 or something like that. It said, and it was God venting his frustration because his children, his people, were ignoring him. It said that God would speak and they would act as if they couldn't hear him. And God would move and they would act as if they couldn't see him. So basically they were ignoring God, speaking and moving in their life. They would Kind of that whole thing we talked about when, when my girls used to cry and at night when they were infants and I would just pretend like I couldn't hear them because I knew if I ignored them long enough, Randall would get up and take care of them. Right. That's what, that's, that's it. You know, we talked about that as a long man. Don't forget that story. Go back and listen to the podcast. if You missed it. Right. Some good stuff, but ignoring your wife. Um, (laughs) but no, seriously, this whole piece about it, we ignore God. And so we said, what is, what happens? What does God do? Because End of Isaiah 42 said that God gets really frustrated with us when we don't listen, we don't respond. So we say the first thing is grace. Listen, this is hard. Grace allows for repercussions. Grace allows for the repercussions of sin. You know what repercussions are. If you read the end of Isaiah 42, what happens is they are dragged off into captivity, stripped from their home. And we said that God will allow us to hit rock bottom in hopes that we will turn back to him. That he is long-suffering and he's patient with us, right? It's kind of a last-ditch effort in a sense, saying, listen, they've reached the point of no return. I'm going to release them to it in hopes that in releasing them, they'll turn. I mean, that's the story of the prodigal son. The father looks and says, I don't want to release you. God doesn't want to release us. But his grace recognizes I've got to release them in hopes that they'll hit rock bottom and at the end turn back like the prodigal son. And the prodigal son took everything. The father knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to waste everything. He was going to live a life opposed to the family name. And he allowed him to go in hopes that he would return. And when and when he did, what happened? Just, he said he all of a sudden came to his senses and he returned home. And the father was waiting for him. Right. We see it again in the New Testament, too, with Paul saying Hymenaeus and these other people said they were living their life. They opposed God. So I will turn them over to Satan. Man, that's a that's brutal. All he's simply saying is I knew there's a point of no return. So I released them into it, hoping that in hitting rock bottom, they would turn back. So what we get at is simply this in our life. Grace allows for repercussions of sin. We're not making a full theology on the theology of suffering. And as we're saying, no, if we live in willful disobedience every day of our life, God will allow, will give us into that, give give us over to that in hopes that we'll turn back to him. But we've said, no, so if that's the case, then what happens? Well, Isaiah 43, it basically can be summed up in this way. Even in this, it said, God still moves in our lives. Isaiah 43, one said, but now. Which means, everybody, open up your ears, because I'm about to speak, and I'm God. But now, I who created and I who formed you, I will redeem you. What he's simply saying is, even though if I turn you over, and we continue to look at the verses, and basically it said, even though I turn you over to this, I am still your father, what it means, creator of the one who forms you. I'm still your father. I can be nothing but your father. And even though I've turned you over, I will still be moving with all of my power and all of my might to bring you back to the place that's broken. I will redeem you. And the very last three words says, because you are mine. You are mine. And then he named a later. He said, he said, talking to him. he said, listen, for I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel, I am your Savior. And what we and everyone who heard this would have understood what was going on. God is eternal, and he expresses it by the name that he gives to himself here in Isaiah 43, because what we find is in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 6, first he says, who shall I say sent me, Moses said. He said, tell them I am that I am. And then he goes on in chapter 6 of Exodus and says, I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. And all of a sudden here in Isaiah 43, they look back and they go, this is the same God who redeemed and who saved the Israelites, our ancestors in the Exodus, this would have been a massive moment. Because what God is saying is, I am eternal. I am the same here in the Exodus. I am the same here in Isaiah. And what he would say to us is, I am the same over here. I am the Lord. I am the Holy One. I am your Savior. Right? We say, does this why? Because he's of grace. He's a father. He has to. He can do nothing else but be himself. And so he moves in our life. Now, this is the picture we've created. New beginning. Confidence in following him. How? Well, We need to know him. We can know him. And knowing him, why does he do it? Well, because of grace. Because he moves in our life. What's our responsibility? We simply have to cultivate relationship. But what if we don't? He still moves to redeem us. He still moves to fight for us. He still Works. Read those first seven verses. And so the question we end with, and I've already asked, is do you believe this? And do you know him this way? Do you believe this? And do you know him this way? So here's story time. Several years ago, Randall and I, uh, we were at the time we were in Orlando. We were working at the Wesley Foundation at UCF taking a trip to India, and so if, if you know, and especially uh, it was uh, during Daylight Savings Time, and so we went, and there's a 11, 11 and a half hour difference uh, between Orlando, where we were from, which would be the same as Atlanta, obviously, and where we were in India, 11 and a half hours, and so if you know anything about doing that and flying, guess what you get? You get jet lag, all right? And so with jet lag, what happens is you're unbelievably tired and you lay down to fall asleep. But like in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., boom, you wake up and you're wide awake, right? So this first night we're there, boom, I wake up, we're both awake, we haven't so I'm not sure, we talked and hung out, whatever, I can't remember. That whole thing, we're both sitting in bed like wondering, is, is she awake? Is she awake? And he's, she's sitting there thinking, is he awake? And so finally I'm like, oh, man, are you awake? Yeah, so good, right? So we had that moment, and then the next day, the next day, listen, we have no responsibilities. My only responsibility is to get up in the morning, eat breakfast, and hop in a van, right? It's really simple, so... I'm really excited about this. I've left all my responsibilities, all the stuff I have to do. Don't you love those moments where you're like, I I can't use my cell phone. No one get a hold of me. This is fantastic. I could just be, right? So I do that through the first day in India. Second day, at so the end of that day, we go to sleep, and I'm thinking, my gosh, we've worked so hard all day today. I'm really, really tired. I'm going to sleep great. Boom, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm wide awake. So fantastic. But this is something different. When I woke up this time at 3 a.m., I felt this weight on me not like a, a physical weight I'm like what is that but this like the internal weight on your mind that you feel like and usually I was I was sitting there thinking like this this weight is akin to what I feel it at, at home with all of the pressure of everyday life all of my responsibilities and all the things I have to get done and all the people have expectations of me and all this stuff I've got to get done you know and and so I'm like what? What, what is this? Why? It's 3 a.m. in the morning in India. I'm jet lagging and I'm feeling this familiar weight, this pressure that I feel every day of my life. And I just had to make this rhetorical question. is in my mind. I'm to God. I was like, what is this? Not expecting, I, was not, I was not wanting to have a moment with the Lord. I was wanting to fall back asleep, right? But I just asked the question to the Lord because he was the only one awake. And so I was like, Lord, what is this? And the Lord responded immediately. One of those, not an audible voice where like the room shook, my bed shaking, but one of those internal audible voices, I'm like this. It was the Lord. And he said to me, you don't love yourself. And I went, and all of a sudden he said those words, you don't love yourself. And immediately, everything that I hated about myself, I began to name. You are a terrible father. You are a terrible pastor. You are a terrible leader. You are a terrible husband. No one can. Find. You're just. You're terrible. And he started naming all these things. But as he named them, that was like this is awesome. Because as soon as I named these things about not loving myself and naming all these terrible things about myself, I felt free. I was like, my gosh, I'm horrible at all of this stuff. And I literally prayed and said, God. Don't let me be so self-loathing that I miss what you're doing. But, man, this is so freeing because I just took the flashlight of the Spirit and and just shone it on everything that I didn't like, this unnamed weight, this pressure that I could never put my finger on. And I realized in the moment all I was doing was simply naming the things that I felt about myself but had never really let myself see. There's a huge difference between me hearing the voice of the enemy condemning me with those same things versus the voice of the Lord coming to set me free. Because when the voice of the Lord spoke, I began to feel freedom. And I began to say, and like, God, I just don't love myself. And I'm like, this is so great. I finally named it. And so I just said, God, what? And I'm like naming all these things. I'm like, just, "It's like I was swimming in the moment of freedom, Right. This is a revelation, an awakening moment like I've been talking about. like, God, what is this? How do I? So I said, God, what do I do? And again, I'm like, okay, was well, he going to answer me again? And immediately he said, and all immediately he began to sing a song over me. It was a mixture of two songs I'd heard before, and it went, All that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. It went like this. Says, all that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. All that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. And I begin to sing this and all of a sudden the Lord is singing it over me. And I'm singing it with Him in my mind. In literally like 15 minutes, I'm just singing this song with Him. And I, I know it sounds, oh, it's really dramatic, but it was like this crazy moment because that's just never happened to me before, right? All that I desire. And I realized that this was the cry of my own heart. All that I desire is just one thing. Awaken love in me. I'm crying out to God. All that I desire is just one thing. And I realized in a moment, I didn't love anybody. Because the great commandment says, love God by your heart, soul, and mind. But it says at the same time, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And all of a sudden, I realized in a moment, I can't love anybody because I don't even love myself. I can't show grace and mercy to anyone out here because I can't even show myself I can't I can't receive grace and mercy because I think I'm terrible and everything's going on this is, I'm terrible, but I'm like, well, this is awake love in me, right? All that I desire. I come on, sing it louder. I had these revelations. I mean, you don't know I mean revelation. That sounds so, oh, but it's like this, like, oh, I just understood, right? I just understood. All that I desire is just one thing, awake in love. And I'm just singing this again over and over and, over and 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 over again and on and on and on. Every time I sing it, I realize, my gosh, this is where I am. I, I'm just think I'm awful. And... And because of me thinking I'm awful, I can't love anybody. And I can't receive grace, and I can't even receive it from the Lord. And so I recognize, God, God, this is what you mean. Not this like, hey, I want to talk about how awesome I am because I love myself. Nothing like that, right? That's a selfish thing. But just this, I want to be true to who I am as a son of God and how he feels about me. And all he wants, all that he's basically saying, and they had this thing like, oh, and you're singing this over me. All that you desire is just one thing, to awaken love in me. This is fantastic. So I'm living in the moment, right? And then all of a sudden I'm like, but how do I do this, right? I mean, it's like you come out this like oh, freak out moment, right? And so I said, so I said, God, <laughs> what do I do about this? <laughs> Don't you love how you make it all about yourself, right? <laughs> what do I do about this? And he just goes, like I've been naming it here. I basically stole his own word from me three years ago. Grace! Grace! He begins to scream it over me. Grace! And what I realized in the moment was that I could never awaken love in me for anyone or anything. I could never do it. I couldn't make it happen. God had to awaken love in me, and it was something only he could do and guess what i knew in the moment he desperately wanted to he is a father right he is he is the lord he is the holy one he is the savior he is who he is he is eternal and who he is as a savior and he wants to move and he wanted to do it in me and i'm like great he's screaming grace and i'm like great god what you're telling me is i can do absolutely nothing this is awesome it is so fantastic knowing I have no control of any breakthrough in my life whatsoever. All I have to do is just cultivate relationship. All I have to do is just sit with you and do nothing like Mary of Bethany did. said, and Jesus, look, I'm just having this whole moment. And you looked at her and said, said uh, and what did he say? He says, Martha, Martha, why are you so worried? Only one thing is required. Mary has chosen what is best. Well, what is Mary doing? Absolutely nothing. She's just sitting at my feet, listening to me, and cultivating a relationship and just being with me. She's not even talking. She's just sitting there being quiet. And it's awesome. And I'm like, God, I'm sitting literally in Indy, this really, really uncomfortable bed, this really, really nasty hotel. It's fantastic, right? Jet lagging and having this moment with God. Telling me I can't do anything of worth. I'm like, this is awesome. I am awful. And I'm completely worthless. And there's nothing good in me. This is the best news ever. (laughs) And so I just rested in it. And I just I prayed, like, God, well, guess what? You've got to make it happen. Because sure as shooting, you know I can't love myself. You're the birthed in me. God, I know I can't love anybody. I mean, I've all listen y'all, this is this is kind of, this is transparent moment for me. I've always struggled loving people. Now, I can be friends with them and have fun, but I have a hard time loving them. I mean, really engaging. Like, like, we had this conversation with a friend of ours named Anna Elsie. She was a, she literally was an orphan who had gotten adopted by an American family from, she was from from Venezuela, got adopted her mom, like, when she was three years old, said, I don't really want you, put her back in the foster care system, right? She just talked about living with rejection, right? So she comes to Wesley, and she's this hard rock, and so God began to move her. She didn't know Jesus, gave her life to Jesus, and she said this massive life change, right? She's actually working for those now in in the sex trafficking industry, honestly. And so she's there doing this thing, and, and we talked one day, and she said, Steve, you know, when people leave, I have a hard time telling them I'm going to miss them. But I just don't love people enough. And I'm like, my gosh, that's exactly how I am. I'm coming kind of out of sight, out of mind guys. So I didn't love. And so God is saying, I want to awaken love in you. And so I, I laid there, y'all, and, and I had this, um, oh, man, it's 1030 already. Shoot fire. Um, go ahead. Where's Tay? Just go ahead and come forward. Where's he in here? Come on in, man. So I'm sitting there having this moment of of God, what do I do? And and, and I but I was resting in the peace and I fell asleep. And I think I've shown this before some of you. When I fell asleep, <clears throat> I immediately went into this dream that I thought was reality. And in my dream, I I I I had this quadality. I made that word up last night. There's duality. I made a quadality, right? Quadality moment of 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 feeling God's confidence and his boldness and this humility and this recognition of my nothingness all at the same time. And so I'm, I'm like living this, and all of a sudden I see someone, and they're, they're wounded, and I lay hands on them, they're immediately healed, and I weep in joy because of what God just did through me. And there's this, group of people over here demonically oppressed and I I speak to the demons and the demons immediately come out and they're set free and they're worshiping and praising Jesus and I begin to weep in joy in my dream. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe it. I'm living this quadality and I was like all this stuff. And it's like God you're unbelievable because grace was flowing in me. Listen, John Wesley was very clear. He said in scripture you can take the Holy Spirit and grace. They're synonymous of the same thing. You can interchange them. And so when we see the movement of the grace, and it's all we're saying is the power of the Holy Spirit moving through us. Every message about grace we have been sharing for all you good charismatics is simply the movement of the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you want to pray for revival all day long and think you can pray it into existence and you can worship it into existence, guess what? You can't. Revival only comes by gift of God's grace. And He is willing to pour it out to those who put themselves in the flow. But revival, this great movement of God, comes for those who embrace this power of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so I had this moment in my dream, and so I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm living in this moment of God's power being released into humility of recognizing I'm worthless, but God, you've made me great. And I live in this holy tension, this paradox. And then just so you know, this dream went to a weird place, and all of a sudden I came into a valley, and I looked off in the distance, and and God said, very clear, says, "This didn't make any sense." He said, "He said there's a there's a very difficult season coming, but if you will live by grace, you will you will make it. You'll make it. You'll be okay." And then I woke up, and so what I want to say is we're going to go ahead and stand this morning. We're going to go ahead and go into. We're gonna end this morning, uh, with this song that, that you know.